Super Talk Mississippi media production. Well, free record on my count. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, roll A, fade up on A. Southern Miss to the top. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. Happy Thursday afternoon to you, Golden Eagle fans, all across the state of Mississippi and for that sake, around the world. Appreciate you joining us for the Eagle Hour. Luke Johnson, Kelly Center, Michael Mergens. We're live from the First Bank Studios in Hattiesburg. And Laurel here to talk uh, about Southern Miss for the next hour. Bob Getty will be joining us um, as he is beginning to ease his way back into uh, being with us on the Eagle Hour. He'll join us a little later in the program as uh, getting ready a Friday game for Southern Miss. They will obviously be on the road at Louisiana Tech tomorrow night at 7 p.m. That game will be on CBS Sports Network. And uh, be talking to Bob about that and other things. Uh, all things Southern Miss. First segment brought to you every day by Dickie's Barbecue. Thanksgiving one week from today. Holidays are upon us. And who better to cater your next event? High school playoffs going. Southern Miss playing next uh, Saturday at home. Dickies can cater your next event, but they're always open there for you, and you can uh, go see them. And, of course, Kelly Center approved soft-serve ice cream in store. Dickies cooked here, loved everywhere. Let's start it off today. Kelly, a, a, a new offense for the Golden Eagles, or at least a new offensive approach. And, Kelly, you and I have, uh, you know, we, we listened to Will Hall early in the week just saying, got to win some games. Uh, let's put our, our offense in the best place uh, to win some games. And so, Eagles looks like the next two games, uh, Kelly, will be running a lot. What do you have to lose? It is the proverbial, what do you have to lose? Uh, and the approach that they took against UTSA with kind of all hands on deck, something that UTSA couldn't prepare for. And now you've got Louisiana Tech. You know, what does Tech prepare for? Because if the Eagles go back to what they were doing earlier this year, they've got what, what they did last week against UTSA. And logic would dictate that you can't, do, you can't cover everything in two or three days as you get ready to prepare for a Friday game rather than a Saturday game. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how Southern Miss is going to try to attack a Louisiana Tech team that is not exactly setting the world on fire with the season that the Bulldogs have had. So it should be fun, I think. Yeah, Tech three and seven, two and four in Conference USA, and and to talk uh, more about this kind of shift in offensive game plan, who better than to have a former Southern Miss offensive lineman, Jonathan Gary, who was a three-year letterman for Southern Miss from 2010 to 2012, hailing from Big Time New Hope High School. Uh, so glad again, Gary. We'll tell you on air. We're so glad you didn't go to Mississippi State. Stay true to Southern Miss. How you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Glad to be able to have a conversation about. Our Golden Eagles. I'm glad to be on the show today. We want to talk a little later with you. You know, you were a part of that 2011 team, of course, part of the reunion. Want to hear about how all that went down and guys you got to see and catch up. But let's spend, uh, you know, if you got a little extra time, may just keep you, you know, a a few segments today. But let's talk about the the shift because this doesn't happen very often. What we're seeing right now, um, stuff started, you know, kind of 
leaking out a little last week and people on social media saying, we don't need receivers anymore. And the, the, the joke was that Southern Miss is basically going to line up in a single wing and, and run it against UTSA, and they did. I guess first and foremost, before we get to the offensive line, looking at an offense, it's very unique, but Will Hall doing all he can to put his, his guys in the best case scenario to win. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that, that making a change like this, uh, obviously making a change like this midseason or actually even towards the end of the season is a challenge, but I think I think one of the things that surprised me most uh, this past weekend was the fact that, I mean, for three and a half quarters, we were, I mean, we were in the lead. We were doing well as a team. Our defense obviously played, played really well. Uh, special teams had a, had a pretty good day. Um, but I think, like, it's just a testament to the fact that when you when you do something unexpected, uh, even though I know there were room, the rumor mill was was out and there was there was talk about Southern Miss making a change like this, um, I think Coach Hall doing something that was unexpected that that the um, an opposing team couldn't really prepare for um, it just sort of took them off guard. We, you know, I think we went in there with a with a game plan and the game plan worked uh, for, at least for a while. Right, it worked for a while. Um, I think you know by the fourth quarter they they sort of had an answer for it. I guess starting in the third, starting in the third, they really started having an answer for it. But uh, like I said, I think it was a great testament to the fact that sometimes when you put in a good game plan, um, it, it just gives you a chance, and, and that's what I, I think we saw this past Saturday. Is it, is it gave us a chance against a really good ball team? Um, and was, so you know, it was a lot pretty of interesting because we've struggled up front. I mean, we we have, and so. The offensive line we thought was going to be a strength of this team turns out uh, they had a rough go this year. So, but but Coach Hall is going to basically use that in some ways. That's going to be the game plan. So I guess I would ask you, as a former offensive lineman who played for Southern Miss, I mean, is, does that put more pressure on the line? Does that free them up just to know they're only going to be one dimensional? I mean, what what would be the approach if you were to come in Sunday and hear this is what we're going to now as far as the game plan is concerned? Yeah, yeah, it definitely makes it less complicated. I mean, if you know that you're just going to run the football and you're going to commit yourself to the run and everybody, literally everybody on the field and in the stands knows what's coming, it, it certainly makes things less complicated. It does, I mean, it, it both makes things less complicated and more complicated because what it does is it, it allows your defense to overly commit themselves to guarding the run. So they start stacking the box. Uh, when I say the box, I mean the the you know, the guys that are linebackers and defensive linemen, they'll just stack it right there in between the tackles. That's what they call the box, right? So, you know, it, it makes it less complicated as far as your game planning, but in turn what it also does is it makes the defenses, you know, scheming, and, and as they prepare this week, it makes their life less complicated. Um, and so the next thing you know, you know, they just start bringing in 11 guys into the box just to, to stop the run. Um and so, you know, for an offensive lineman, you always want to run the ball. There's just something uh, – I mean, we, I think when we were playing, we, we used to talk constantly about, you know, we wanted to have 250 rushing yards a game if it was possible. Um, and there was a lot of games where we did that, um, especially in 2011. But even, even prior to that, we, uh, we just sort of set that goal. And um, so that, you know, we wanted to run the football. If it was going to be third and two, we certainly never wanted to throw the ball. If we were in the in the red zone, we wanted to run the football. And so, you know, just as an offensive lineman, as far as mentality, that 
I mean, it's fun. Running the football is fun. And uh, so, I, you know, I think I think what it does is it gives your offensive linemen – it's like, guys, the game's on your back, and if, if we're going to win, we're going to win because you're going to win, and if we're going to lose, we're going to lose because you lost. And uh, so, you know, it does create some pressure, but I think in a, in a lot of ways it can – it can really fire your guys up some. From a technique standpoint, take us through the difference between run blocking and pass blocking. Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, run blocking, all of it's technique, right? Like right. there's no part of offensive line that's not technique. Um, and, and one of the unique things about offensive line is it's, it is, uh, it's dependent on the unit, maybe more than any other position. Um, you know, your your chain is only as strong as your weakest link, and that is certainly true when it comes to offensive line. Um, you know, when it, so technique wise, one of the things that matters a lot when it comes to run schemes and uh, a run game versus pass blocking, you, your 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 middle three guys, so your center and your two guards, they have to be really good at getting a push off the ball. Um, it's you know, obviously, it's help, helpful to have tackles that can do the same thing, but. When you're talking about moving the line of scrimmage forward, um, the, which always is going to open up running lanes and give your, giving yourself a chance, you got to have a center and two guards that can just move guys around. They can they can create some space for for running lanes and things like that. And so it's just a it's a if you're big and maybe you're uh, you're not as 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 fast as you would like to be, or if your guys don't have quite the footwork that you would need with pass protection. Um, run blocking is, you know, just over committing yourself to the run is, is one way to solve that problem. And it's obviously been a problem that we've had. You know, I think what Luke, you said right before we came on air, we had 43 sacks so far this year. Um, wasn't that number correct, Luke? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so 43 sacks. And so what we've said is we're done getting sacks. Uh, we've given up too many already, and so we're just going to run the football. Um, and, and like, so technique wise, you know, you got to have those three strong guys in the run game right in the middle. Your, your tackles got to have, got to have the ability to, to block their defensive end, um, when it's appropriate. And then, and then what you do in a run game is you, 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 you just, you can do, you know, you can do all kinds of different things. You can pull guys, you can do zone type style blocking. You, you let particular guys go, um, with different run options and things like that. And so there's a lot of different techniques that are involved in it. So, so it's more it's more than uh, like sandlot football, where okay, you got the blonde headed guy, and you got the red headed guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, <laughs> well, what, yeah. what, whatever it is, it's not too late for the Eagles to clean it up just a little bit uh, as they right. get ready right. to take on Louisiana Tech and then finish the season with FIU. We're going to continue our discussion with former Golden Eagle offensive lineman Jonathan Gary as Thursday's Eagle Hour continues after these commercial messages. Hang with us. To the top. Eagle Hour continues on this Thursday. Happy to have you along. Second segment brought to you by Campus Bookmark. Football winding down, basketball heating up. 
get everything you need to cheer on the black and gold at Campus Bookmark. Get your holiday gifts. Go ahead and get them. CampusBookmark.net. Luke, Kelly, and Michael from the First Make Studios in Hattiesburg. And Laurel, we continue with former Southern Miss offensive lineman Jonathan Gary uh, joining us. And uh, Kelly, a, a clinic, an offensive line technique clinic before we hit commercial break there. Well, I hope our, some of our younger linemen at Southern Miss were taking notes. There will be a quiz on this a little bit later on. But Luke, you didn't, you didn't tell me that, uh, that it's Pastor Gary. It is, know. yeah. He's the pastor of Hikes Retreat Baptist Church. What, Jonathan, year and a half? Yep, year and a half in. Well, I'm glad I didn't uh, crack some of my normal jokes with, with the, the yeah. Honorable Jonathan Gary with us here. Yeah. So. Now, over in uh, over in Brookhaven in, in Lincoln County, and I, I guess to, to kind of finish up, you know, the, this part, and then we'll shift to 2011. You know, we saw it was pretty resilient Saturday, Jonathan, the effort that they gave. And, of course, you know, I, I don't like bringing up nightmares, but you were part of the 2012 team. And were you a little surprised with how resilient they were on on Saturday? I mean, it seems as if this coaching staff—I mean, this uh, these players are still bought into this coaching staff, and I, I guess that showed from from what happened Saturday. And I, I guess from a program standpoint, it's completely different than what some of you guys were facing in 2012. Yeah, I, you know, in 2012, we had at, at that point, if you remember. Seems like forever ago. It wasn't that long ago, but we're talking about two decades of great success, right? Um, so, in a lot of ways, it was the exact opposite of of where the and not that the program's been just in absolute shambles since 2011. That's not true. Right? We've had some good years since then, but I think in you know, Coach Johnson came into a, a really, really strong program, tons of talent. As a matter of fact, when uh, Coach Fedora and I, we this past when we had the 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 2011 reunion game, we played a, some golf before that Friday, and we were talking just about all the talent that was on that team in 2012. And so Coach Johnson, it, you know, he inherited a team that, that had two guys that have Super Bowl champions, right, on, on the team. Um, and some really good talent in the backfield. I mean, you had Jamal Woodyard, uh, and we, we, were, we were good. Um, I think Coach Hall has inherited a little bit different situation, right? Um, but you know, looking, watching them this past Saturday, we looked like a football team and, uh, it was encouraging to watch, even though we, we looked like a football team that, uh, had one hand tied behind his back, obviously, at least on offense. Um, but nonetheless, you know, the one hand that was free, it looked good, at least for three and a half quarters, you know, it looked really strong. We were running the ball well. Um, I thought our offensive line looked improved. Um, obviously Frank Gore Jr. is, uh, really good. Um, he does a good job running the football, um, and so uh, you know I, I thought we made some significant, some significant improvements. And, and this late in the season, to still see that is a positive thing. It means that that they're still believing in the coaching staff. And um, and, and and you guys, we did see Frank Gore uh, yesterday at practice do do quite a bit of things that a lot of people right. thought maybe he wasn't going to do. So my guess is that he will be in the lineup uh, Saturday at, at at some point, if not from the get go. Uh, against uh, uh, Friday night against La Tech, that's my guess. So we'll, we'll see if that's. Uh, but I think he's going to be in there Friday. Hope, yeah, hopefully I think we so. All, hope so. all right, uh, you mentioned in passing. How was uh, a couple weeks ago the 2011 uh, reunion? Of course, uh, man, so many of you guys came back. As you said, Coach Fedora came back. Kind of walk us through how that weekend went and some of the highlights of it. Man, it was it was really good to see guys that that 
that uh, I just haven't been able to talk to and see in a long time. Um, if you name them, you know, they were pretty much there. And uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, when, when you're playing together, uh, it's just a little bit different of a, of a relationship. And uh, every year in football, uh, whenever that year's over, the team is never the same, right? So you're never going to have the same guys on the team the next year that was on that was on the team the that particular year. And in 2011, you know, we had Corey Williams. We had those were the seniors. Austin Davis was there. Um, Lamar Holmes. Uh, there were just tons of seniors that graduated that year. That after they left, you know, we we just sort of lost touch. Apart from the you know, liking each other's posts on social media or something like that. Um, and so it was really good to see them and catch up with um, some of my old teammates. And and one of the, one of the sweetest things about the whole thing, um, right when we saw each other, so we played around the golf on Friday, and a lot of the guys showed up to Hattiesburg Country Club, and we, we played around the golf. And it, it was like we had, you know, we picked off right, right where we left off. And I think that's part of the, the special nature of just, football being a team sport the way that it is um I mean, we were still joking and, and sort of ragging on each other just like we were in the locker room 10 years ago um and so that was it was just a ton of fun to catch up with those guys and uh be able to spend some time with coach fedora when he's not my coach uh so that was that was really enjoyable as well it was just a great weekend overall there's something about the mental makeup of offensive linemen though because you hear it all the time the only time they ever get any their name called on tv is when they're a false start or a hold or something like that, but yet on the professional level in the National Football League, from a win-loss record standpoint, offensive linemen far and away make the best head coaches. If you base it base it on win-loss, why do you yeah, suppose you know, that if you is? Ask me, if you ask me, I just think we're the best people. You know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think that offensive linemen uh, there there's just a nature of of being willing to. Um, allow other people to be successful. Like you win if somebody else gets sort of gets the the glory for it. If that makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah. But it seems to be these days, Jonathan. That's completely contrarian to society. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that that's part partly. That's probably some of the reason why when you see offensive linemen uh, getting into coaching later on in life, I think I think it just learning how to to not have to be the guy all the time, not have to be the center of attention and being okay with like somebody else gets the interview. Somebody else gets the, gets the headline in the paper. Um, I think that it can earn it, you know, in the news cycle or whatever, I think it can just be conducive to, to a healthy um, environment and culture for a team. But not to be patronizing too, but I've heard other, other people say that, that really when it comes to football teams, offensive linemen, because of, of them having to think on their feet uh, and make instantaneous decisions, that they generally are the smartest guys on the football team. You talked about offensive linemen being good guys, but most people will say that offensive linemen are probably pound for pound the smartest guys on the team. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, obviously I'm partial, right? Right. Um, but, but you know, to be fair, I mean, there's, there, there's guys on defense that are, that are just as smart. I mean, Corey Williams, to hear that guy talk, I mean, he's still brilliant. But back – when we were playing together, he was our middle linebacker, for, for those that don't know who that is. Um, he was an all-conference guy. He was really good. Um, he was like a quarterback, you know, when he was in the backfield. As a matter of fact, I'll never forget. I mean, he used to call our plays when we would scrimmage before we would run them just because he knew how we lined up. And so 
I don't know if it'd be quite fair to say that the offensive linemen are the smartest guys on the field. I mean, quarterbacks obviously are are, are sharp guys most of the time. Uh, at least you want them to be. Well, I, I was just making the correlation in the National Football League. Clearly, you know, from a win-loss record standpoint, offensive linemen by far have the best winning percentage as yeah, head hey, coaches. If you want to argue that we're the smartest guys and the best, I'm for it. Okay. Can, uh... <laughs> and, and quarterbacks, quarterbacks generally do not make very good head coaches in the league. Based yeah, on, that's interesting. Yeah, based on win-loss records. So it is, I do find that interesting as well, Luke. Is Luke still with us? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, okay. all right. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, Jonathan. As as, as we start to wrap up, um, who who surprised you the most? Like who had changed the most, and and who had not changed one iota over that weekend? <laughs> I don't know if I can say anybody had changed a whole lot. I mean, it was it was you know it was just kind of like I said. I think we just sort of picked up where we left off. All of us have changed to a particular degree. You know, we've had kids. I've I've had three kids. Since we since we played together and, and your, your wife has a lot of, your wife has uh, had three kids yeah that's yeah mostly my wife that's that's <laughs> fair that's fair uh, but we have you know we've all like there's so many of us are, are married we have children now it's just it's just a different stage of life yeah but um, but Fedora's hair hasn't changed yeah yeah <laughs> I, I agree <laughs> did. Did, did people rib Austin because basically we had to, you know, plan the entire reunion around his bye week in the NFL? Did were there any comments about that? Of course there were. Of course there were. We've all, you know, we've always people don't know this, but we kind of have a nickname for Austin, and it stems from that 2009 uh, UAB game when he scored. I think what was it like four rushing touchdowns? We yeah. scored like 70 points. I think it was 70 to 14. And on his last rushing touchdown, he sort of held out the ball. Um, it was his freshman year. It was 2008. Um, he sort of held out the ball over the goal line. Um, and so we've, we've jokingly called him showboater for a while because of that. And so the, this weekend we had a good time with him, just uh, knowing that we, we did have to plan the, the entire weekend around his schedule. Austin Showboater Davis. Love it. Yeah, hey, uh, listeners, don't tell him that. We won't tell him that. We know he listens every day right before practice up there in the uh, Pacific Northwest. Hey, Jonathan, appreciate you joining us today, man, and uh, always happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Jonathan Gary, former offensive lineman, now the pastor of Hikes Retreat Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. If you're over in that way, need something, he's always there to serve you. Hey, we'll take a break for a few minutes. Bob, what, what do we call him? Living legend? Kelly, is that what it was? Scoop, yeah, living legend scoop and opening act for Ish Kabibble. There we go. Bob Getty <laughs> after this. Tuned in to the Eagle Hour. The Eagle Hour. Southern Miss to the top. This segment of the Eagle Hour brought to you by our friends at 4th Street Bar and Grill. Right across the Highway 49 Bridge there on 4th Street. In the shadow of M.M. Roberts Stadium, it's where all Southern Miss fans go to pregame and postgame. And do you know that 4th Street Bar and Grill is going to be open Thanksgiving afternoon? And believe it or not, Luke Johnson... It is one of the busiest days of the year for them, uh, Thanksgiving afternoon. And I was talking to some of the guys last year about this, 
And I said, busiest day of the year. And they said, yeah, we're, we're kind of surprised by it too. But I guess not all families <laughs> get along very well, sad to say. And uh, some people want to get away from their relatives, I guess, uh, for Thanksgiving. But nonetheless, 4th Street Bar and Grill will be open uh, Thanksgiving afternoon for you to enjoy if you are so inclined. Joining us now on the Super Talk Mississippi Hotline is Bob Scoop Getty, who is slowly going to be working his way back into the studio and be back with us on a full-time basis, probably in early December. As we welcome you, Bob, one of the stories in Conference USA this week has been how Butch Davis, the the accomplished yet struggling coach at FIU this year, has has really kind of talked the administration uh, about the administration in public, saying that that the lack of support that the administration has given his program has been appalling. That the that the jerseys haven't been replaced in ten years, the shoulder pads uh, have been donated that they're using now have been donated by Mississippi State because the shoulder pads they were wearing were insufficient and too old, and among other things. And now the athletic director has resigned. FIU is dead last in just about every category uh, in the league, and that's saying something considering how the Eagles have struggled. So. This thing is a mess, Bob, at FIU, and they're stuck in Conference USA, or Conference USA is stuck with them, whatever the case may be. Well, the good news is we get to play them next week, I guess, if there is any good news <laughs> yes. there. But, uh, Amen. Uh, you know, that makes sense, Kelly, because Butch Davis was really successful in college and I believe took the Cleveland Browns to the playoffs when he was, uh, was coaching in the NFL. And when he first came in the league, you had to assume that that program would, would really grow underneath him. And even though he may be a little old for coaching these days, uh, you know he's been a pretty big time coach, and it I think provides some explanation as to why FIU has performed so poorly since he's gotten there. And it, and it, the money situation supposedly is so bad there in the Miami area that even coaches were told that they could not go on recruiting trips if it required an airplane flight. So right. they would only have to go in cars, and that's that's really. Uh, unfair for your athletes to try to put them into battle where the playing field literally and figuratively is is not equal but I guess and that's one of the reasons Luke I would guess that FIU was not targeted by any of these other conferences looking to expand would that make sense yeah that that's part of it it's just they're they're at the end of course they're in a media market but you know, FAU's down there, and so I, I think what Conference USA was thinking early on was, we'll, you know, if we strike out with one Miami school, we'll hit the other one, and just didn't work out. They're a team that, that is a lot like what Southern Miss is going through. This is, again, from that Brett McMurphy article. We didn't mention it the other day. Of their 85 scholarship players, 21 have suffered season-ending injuries or have left the team, including 13 starters. So they may have been even hit with the injury bug worse than the Golden Eagles pretty pretty amazing to even think about that but it looks like it is but it sounds like too that if if the equipment that they were using was antiquated wouldn't that open the school up for some some really nasty type of legal situations if if they were having guys going to play and I know this is a, a huge can of worms I know and I'm just thinking hypothetically but I would think if you're sending your athletes into battle with subpar equipment that's let's just say that's not ideal no, no, no question about that. You know, look, I'm going to take you back to uh, your old coach, Jeff Bauer. I remember uh, back uh, years ago when uh, it was announced that South Florida was going to join Conference USA. And I remember Coach Bauer saying 
that the conference needed to think in terms of quality and not quantity when it came uh, to new members. South Florida, obviously, a pretty good program, but I think that might have been the case with FIU. Maybe that was a, a conference just reaching out to get a number of league members and not really analyzing the quality of the programs they were bringing in. That's what they're doing now. Yeah, it's the same thing. You're exactly right. And it's what the it's the same way the American has followed. And I think while we're so satisfied today, you know, in in November, is because the Sun Belt didn't do that. The Sun Belt kept all its members and only strategically, you know, targeted members that would bring value to the conference versus trying to maintain your value by by filling slots. So you know, I couldn't be be more tickled at all. You know that that's and, the case. Like and that. when you look at the continued dysfunction of Conference USA, one of the reasons that existing members wanted to get out was because the conference was too far apart, spread all over the place, from El Paso to the west to Norfolk and Huntington, you know, in the east to northeast. So you would think that after losing members because of that reason they would think to themselves hmm kind of like cnc music factory things that make you go hmm no they go out and now get <laughs> yes they've gotten further apart now when you bring in las cruces new mexico all the way up to stores connecticut i just any reasonable person cannot understand the dysfunction and the decision making at the top of conference usa good riddance july 1st of 2023 cannot get here soon enough in my opinion and I think it's fair to say, guys, that uh, with the additions that the Sun Belt has made, the Sun Belt may very well jump the AAC as uh, being considered the, maybe the best conference outside of the Power Five. Yeah. I think I think that's the case. The, the Mountain West didn't did, did the same thing. They didn't lose anybody, and so the Mountain West and Sun Belt are absolutely you know in better shape than, than everybody else. I think going forward. All right, Kelly, we have uh, during the commercial break we actually pulled up. Um, the the article uh, the biography of Ishka Bibble and uh, his the years that he was active was from 1931 to 1959 and so we've trying to trying to figure out which which years particularly Bob Getty was the the opening act so Bob can you provide some more light on that from 55 through 59 55 through 59 uh, and I, I think that you know his demise had nothing to do with my performance I think he had just reached a point where he just wasn't quite as sharp as he was, Kelly. But I'm sure you remember those years, I, 55 I, through 59, Kelly. Good years for you, too, right? 100%. And i got to tell you, Bob, I'm really impressed the fact that Merg, our producer in the studio, who is a generation younger than us, had heard of Ishka Bibble. Mm-hmm. And and had yeah. and had known about his Mo Howard haircut, the the bull haircut. Bob, did he ever let you play on his cornet? That was what we wanted to know. No, that was off limits. Uh, yeah. Ish would not uh, share the cornet at all. That, no. That's no. kind of like BB King letting you play Lucille. You just that some things just don't happen, Kelly, that, and, and that's that's one of them. Yeah, I mean. I'm just thankful to be able to talk to you guys since in the 1950s, both of you guys were in your late 30s. I mean, it's just an honor to speak Correct. to some, yeah. some men yeah. with so much wisdom. It was wisdom a good time. It was a great time, no doubt. <laughs> we, do get people no doubt. At, we do get people all the time saying, uh, just exactly how old are you and Bob, yeah. and Bob Getty? And the no. fact that Mergens knew who it was, you know, verifies what the three of us have always known. He's really not a normal person. No, no, that, that, that's for sure. So Friday night, Bob, you're gonna you're gonna get to watch this game at at home on a, on a Friday night. Some big high school football games around the state, but Southern Miss and La Tech 
Man, look, this is doable. This is doable Friday night. I agree. I agree. I think they have a chance to win the last two games of the year. My question, and Luke may know this, will, will they go with the Wildcat type attack again Friday night, or yes. will they bring the quarterback back in and play a more conventional style? No turning back. I mean, you can all, you almost uh, you know shorten the, the clock, shorten the field, knock down. Uh, you almost had a chance you know, to beat a, an undefeated UTSA team. I think they're going to continue to play to their strengths. And, and Bob, we, we talked about it uh, a little last segment. It looks like Frank Gore Jr. will be available in some capacity. But Will Hall said earlier in the week, I mean, it's going to be like running the Calvary out there. I mean, we could have six or seven guys that are going to line up in that. And I just – you know, just roll them in there, line change uh-huh. one after another, and and I think that the Eagles have that's the best chance they have to win. And I, and I think I, they have a legitimate chance to win both games, guys. I really do. And what a breath of fresh air that'd be to win the final two after this year. And and as there's precedent there, as we mentioned, you know, uh, Munkin after that long. Uh, dreadful season, you know, they were able to beat UAB in that last game, and you see where that thing started to turn around. So right. once you get a, a win or two under your belt, the thing the thing that's most gratifying for me, okay, the record is ugly, right? We can't, can't change that. We can only look at things going forward. But as evidenced by that performance last Saturday against UTSA, the guys haven't quit. Absolutely. It'd be real easy to roll over and just say, eh, you know, we're done. But the fact that they battled UTSA, and as a fan – the bottom line is that's all I – what I want is to know my team is going to go and compete. It's unrealistic unless you're, you know, one of those two or three that, you know, go undefeated every year practically. It's unreasonable to think you're going to win every game. I just want to know that my team is competing. And I don't think I could have been any more proud of a team in victory than I was in a defeat last Saturday when the way that they played against UTSA. Also shows, Kelly, that the coaching staff hasn't given up, and they're, they're continuing to search for ways to win football games. They owe that to the, to the players, and, and, uh, and we owe that to the players to, to stay behind them. We'll continue our discussion about uh, Southern Miss, La Tech, basketball, other things that are on the skillet, the Southern Miss skillet, as the Eagle Hour continues in just a moment. To the top. To the top. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. Final segment today brought to you by DBAT and D1 Training located on Hardy Street in Hattiesburg. DBAT on the left. Eight cages. Softball and baseball pitching machines. You can make your own strike zone. Work on that great stuff. And then on the right, D1 Training 70-yard indoor Running facility, DBAT and D1, proud sponsors of the Eagle Hour. A couple news and notes as we wrap up today's show. Southern Miss freshman outside hitter Mia Wesley, named to the second team All-Conference USA this past Thursday. She had an unbelievable record-breaking season. 
Most kills in freshman or by a freshman in program history, 428 beat the previous record by 50. So uh, congratulations to Mia Wesley. Of course, earlier this week, breaking Coach Stephanie Radecki, stepping down after four seasons. The national search will commence immediately as we uh, look for the new head coach for women's volleyball. Coach uh, Lucy Nunn-Burke announces three more signees for her 2022-2023 season, two international signees, both from Spain, and then Taylor Tribble from Birmingham, Alabama, the newest members of the Lady Eagle golf team. We should mention, guys, Bob, the other day we had Travis Creel on. He led his uh, team, uh, his black team, in the World Series this fall, Southern Miss Baseball, to a perfect 4-0 and sweep of the gold wow. team. And, and, Kelly, it was it was pretty unfairly matched. I don't know what he paid Coach Brewer, man, but I'll tell you what, that was a pretty good draft uh, that, that went down with, with Creel hitting and pitching-wise. As it turns out, but you know, every, every it doesn't matter what you're drafting, the, whether it's your fantasy football team or whatever. Everybody leaves the draft thinking that they're the guy, right? Oh, I like I like my team. Well, you never know until you play those games. So I'm sure he well, and Coach Brewer they both walked out of there thinking that they had the championship team. Let me let know? me just tell Bob. Okay, Bob, this was this is who Creel had. He had he had Poncho behind the plate. All right, Sergeant at first. He also had Dickerson, who just in name only, but he had Lynch, McGillis, Charlie Fisher, and Reese Ewing. That was his offense. <laughs> then def- then pitching-wise, he had Etheridge, Weehunt, Matt Adams, Chandler Best, and Tyler Stewart, and, by the way, Drew Boyd. Wow. Well, did, did he claim that uh, the victory was a result of coaching or talent? Did he say which one it might have been? Uh, I'm sure Krill would say coaching, uh, particularly. <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, you know, the baseball team, of course, starts up in, what, February. Um, it, you know, guys, it gets to be kind of an old thing here. We don't really seem to rebuild the baseball team. It just seems to be consistently good every year. Luke, as you look ahead, uh, how good can this baseball team be? They can be really good, but i tell you what, if you enjoy just baseball watching it, I mean, they play North Alabama the, the first, but then you go, you, you play South back-to-back days. Then you go. To, uh, you host Jacksonville State. Then you play Mississippi State. Then you go on the road to Lafayette for three games. Then you play South Al again. Then you play Tulane at home. Then you go to Dallas Baptist for a three-game series. Then you play Alabama, and then you open up with FAU at the Pete. That's that's the first like month of the season. That's insane. Yeah, it's pretty tough. Except for that South Alabama team, as everybody knows, we pretty much dominate them. Don't in every sport. <laughs> yeah. Kelly, and, Kelly, did you uh, and the good news is they're in the with Sun your, Belt. Uh, yeah. E-gamers, had they beaten South Alabama just to see if we had beaten them in, in anything? I don't know that South Alabama has an E-team. Like, maybe they're just so afraid of us that they've decided not to do that. But I don't know if you guys saw this story, too, because um, I'm a big fan of the art of play-by-play in sports. The Texas Tech broadcasters have been suspended uh, because of some comments they made in Texas Tech's win over Iowa State this past weekend, calling out the officials by their names. First of all, they identified the official by their names. Nothing necessarily wrong with that, except then they criticized them by name about calls that they made. The point that I'm trying to make about this is in play-by-play, your job is to simply tell people what happened. All right, by them saying that the referee blew this call and, again, calling these guys by names and saying, saying all these things, you, they're interjecting opinion. 
and it's not it's it's not your job in my opinion <laughs> to give your opinion right it just tell what happened and let things sort it out but people get so emotionally charged when they get tied to a team and they sometimes forget that they are there to call it down the middle as as best they can Texas Tech's going to pay a big price for this for some of the things their broadcaster said so let that Bob, be you've never done that have you ever uh, you know, truly, when I was doing play-by-play, I, I tried to stay as objective as I could. It's hard to cover the same team every week, and you get to know those kids, and I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know, but you get to know those kids and the coaches, and it, it's hard not to pull for them. But uh, And you, you obviously want them to do well. But uh, you know, I was always taught, too, that you know there are people from the other side listening to the broadcast as well. And You're right, Kelly. Jack Crystal told me one time, you got to remember that you're – you're the eyes and the ears of the people who are tuned in to the broadcast, and your job is to simply tell them where the ball is, what the score is, and what's happening in the game. 100%. So Texas Tech, again, going to pay that price. Well, we hear that music from the Steve Miller Band that our show and our time together has come to an end. Until we go down this road again, for Scoop Getty and Luke Johnson, the producer-engineer, Michael Mergens, I'm Kelly Sander. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, Southern Miss to, to the, the top. top. To the top. Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. I want to fly like an eagle to the sea. Fly like an eagle, let my spirit carry me. I want to fly like an eagle till I'm free. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.